Hi, my name is Matthew Codd, and I had a question while reading your most recent book, Churches and the Crisis Decline. In your book, you note the similarities between pietism and liberalism, saying that they may be even twins with a grudge. I think your assessment is spot on and an analysis that would frustrate some in each camp. I see that happen in the world of social media Christianity, where so many people seem to deconstruct from the evangelical church of their childhood, only to end up rebuilding a church with new sacred cows. The vocabulary changes, but the grammar remains the same. How do we as a church change more than just our vocabulary? All right, so Matt, thanks for the question um, and your your faithful reading of of uh, my books. Um, and thanks so much that now there's nothing we can say in response to this podcast that will make anyone happy. Um, we're just gonna. It's very hard for two Minnesotans to <laughs> try to not make people happy. So uh, how we respond will be difficult. So there's this tweet, and it was it was about a social issue. And it said, it said this, it said something like, here's your update that you need. I don't know who, need, you know, it's one of those, I don't know who, who needs to hear this, but here's your update. And I've said this many times before, but enter your social issue. When the Bible talks about that social issue, it has nothing to do with you and how you're living your life. It has no connection. And I read that and I, I, I said to Kara, um, and this is a really interesting phenomenon to think about along uh, Matt's question about how much meaning is created for certain people who particularly tweet things um, and are in a kind of deconstructive process, which I'm not against the deconstructive realities. I do find it nauseating in some ways, and I do find it unthought at some points, but I'm not completely against the move to, to deconstruct. Um but it is amazing to me as modern people how much meaning we find in making assertions about how little meaning there is. Another, in, other word, in other words, what I mean is that this person finds an incredible amount of purpose in meaning saying what the Bible says about your way of life has no meaning. There's no connection to it. Like the the power of the deconstructive move of breaking connections becomes in itself a way of infusing us with purpose, meaning. Um, that's odd because when you think about this social issue and go back behind modernity, particularly in the medieval period, it made a lot what what gave life meaning was that their way of life and whatever kind of social dynamic this was, was part of the larger biblical story or part of what Paul talked about or what gave, you know, gave it relevance. So, I mean, to, to blow this out of, maybe to blow this up, like to say what, what Mary experiences when Jesus dies has nothing to do with you. Like to break that connection where for a ton of Christian history, the, the meaning was in the fusing of your story and your experience with, with the biblical story in many ways. What I find fascinating and slightly problematic about just the, the late modern psychology, I guess, is that the way to find meaning is to take these, to take what, 
we assume our our kind of old but held beliefs and snap them apart and now say the meaning is in how none of this has any meaning. Um, I just I find that interesting, and I wonder what I do wonder is how long that can go. My friend um, said this. I won't name him because he maybe doesn't want to be named on this. But he 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 made this comment that I think is really true. That in the in the fundamentalist camp, that everything kind of concedes, and you bend knee to saying, "Well, the Bible says." Therefore, I don't need to think about it anymore. And I do. And he said, "You know what's interesting um, is often on the very other side, it's the same logic where it's the culture says. Therefore, we bend knee and believe it." You know, I don't want to be part of a church or a Christian confession that is opposed to what the larger ethical perspectives of the culture are. So, I, hey, if I, and in some sense, I think too often that's what we mean by accepting. You know, to be accepting means to to kind of presume some of these kind of cultural realities, and I think it's deeper than that. Um, but I do think we have to be really careful that accepting really is about accepting persons and in, in their humanity and accepting their their stories, um, as opposed to accepting meaning we accept ideologies. Um, and what Twitter just has in spades in uh, and other social media um, is that it really gives you a way to broadcast your ideological commitments, or it. It filters all comments through certain ideological scrims, um, and I think that becomes kind of a problem. So, um, yeah, there's a certain way that both are really deconstructive, and deconstruction can be a really good thing, um, but there is the tendency for it to become somewhat, if not really directly nihilistic, and uh, I think that that's happened in, in, in both camps. So I guess my question for you would be, clearly uh, deconstruction has brought about liberation because there's been institutions like slavery that needed to be deconstructed. And clearly there are verses in the Bible that can be seen as supporting that institution that we've taken hermeneutical approaches to say that just that's not true. Slavery is an evil. We want to get rid of it. Same with racism. Same with patriarchal systems that say, you know, women are subordinate to men or can't get ordained in a church setting or something like that. And clearly, again, there's Bible verses that would seem to support that. And we've decided that those aren't really saying what people say that they say. So I guess my question for you is like deconstruction can clearly be a very, very useful tool in, in bringing about freedom. And, and sometimes there are things that do need to be broken apart and snapped, but like, how do you, how do you determine where to apply that tool? Maybe is the question I would ask. Like, like what rubric do you use to say this is something we should deconstruct, whereas this thing over here is maybe taking away meaning and, and freedom from people by deconstructing this? Or is it just scorched earth and we just do it all? I don't know. And I, maybe I'm not thinking about this in the right way, but. You could try to get to some kind of space where you're not dependent on anything or you you. you you've disconnected everything like everything that might come to you and say this has meaning you have deconstructed it so that now you are in 
a voided empty space, which is impossible. But there is a sense like the utopian senses. Then you could really start to construct moral codes and you could construct ways of life that are free from all that false stuff. But where would you get that from? Like just inside of your your head? Um, well, you'd say, well, we would get it from living. And, but you've deconstructed all the meaning for everything else. So at some point you have to you have to hold on to some things as still being really relevant. I guess this is what's really kind of fascinating about the left's kind of move in this direction is that they deconstruct everything and that deconstruction then leads them to have to hold on to some things as utter fundamentals. You know what I mean? Because you can't. You can't survive in a complete, complete void of deconstruction. Maybe only as a university professor or as like a 19th century philosopher or something, could you do that? But you can't really live that way. So there has to be some things that are absolutely fundamental. And you started on this whole journey by looking at the fundamentals your parents gave you and deconstructing them to the point where they were disconnected. But then you had to, you had to resurrect some, usually some, some different ones. You had to resurrect those. And usually those come from, to be completely honest, they come from what Taylor calls the modern moral order. You know, they come from this assertion that there is a way for human beings to flourish um, and flourish exclusively outside of any kind of transcendent realities or any ethics that have anything based in any kind of religious tradition. That there, that there, that there is a way to flourish and to allow human identities and desires to flourish without being connected to any kind of ways of life or any narratives that think that there's something beyond human flourishing, you know? So, I mean, that's an interesting dynamic, right? Like there are every, every, at least every religious form, particularly the, 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 the religious forms that come from the desert, you know, uh, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, there's an assertion that human flourishing is not exclusive. To find human flourishing, that there is something beyond human flourishing, that there is purpose, meaning, that there are stories that are beyond just human flourishing. Well, the modern moral order tends to make the assertion that there is not. There is only human flourishing. And if you hold on to those religious stories in any of their forms, you end up being repressive towards human desires. So you need to deconstruct all things that would be repressive and all forms that would be repressive. But you still hold on to a deep moral code, which is that human desires should be completely free from any other structure, from any other story. And those become the only way that you can create new meaning after you've deconstructed everything else. So you will fight and you will either emotionally or sometimes even physically kill for those those realities. That does become a kind of image reflection of your fundamentalist parents who didn't deconstruct. They feared deconstruction. You know what I mean? So they said never go near those and held on to those fundamentals in a certain way um, to never even get there. But now you've come out on the other side going through the deconstructive sea and you hold to the same rigid fundamentals. They're different rigid fundamentals, but they're rigid fundamentals that you started with as the child of a fundamentalist. I 
I mean, ministry, maybe, is a culturally dangerous thing to do because, in a sense, I think ministry requires you to reject fundamentals because so often fundamentals get in the way of connecting in relationship with people and in countering other persons because well, that, that's it exactly human means yeah. you're going to have contradictions with who you are so if we're truly going to minister to a person we have to reject fundamentalism in all forms right i i think so i think so but this or or the way you do ministry which we've seen on both the far right and the far left is that you your job is to protect your job is to proclaim the fundamentals and your your, your job really is to um your, your your job is to gatekeep the, the fundamentals and if you don't everything could be lost um either from an exclusive humanist perspective or from a kind of religion re, rigid rigid religious perspective but i think that the heart of ministry that the call of ministry is absolutely to uphold persons to encounter persons and to invite persons in the encounter to recognize the reality of otherness. And so the question just becomes, can you have encounter with persons if you are ultimately committed to the fundamentals in one form or the other? And so the way you're thinking about ministry as this is encounter with persons that draw us into otherness, and particularly the otherness of God in and through our lives in community, I think that becomes nearly impossible, whether whatever fundamentals you hold to, um, because you have to protect the fundamentals. So the fundamentals, the ideology, will always become more important than the persons. This is why Bonhoeffer, in his ethics, really thinks ideology is the enemy, because at the core of Bonhoeffer's theology is this deep sense of communion and personhood, and um, thinks that the Christian story is really about the person of Jesus Christ, God coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So we must always uphold personhood and that we find the concreteness of Jesus Christ's life in and through personhood. So ideology becomes a huge, huge problem. But we do have a cultural reality where it's much easier to organize ourselves around these ideologies or fundamentals, as we've called them. And if part of your job as a pastor is to be able to organize people, um, at least get them to continue to come and be committed to your collective group, um, well, you either need to be super, super pro-Trump or super anti-Trump or something, or you know, whatever. You need to, you need to signal signal the fundamentals that will lead people to to commit there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess where where Matt is even going in his question is to is to say, you know, the third ways can be kind of lame, you know, like you you actually don't deal with the tensions of the other two because you're like, I'm going for a third way. But I do believe in third ways, and I do believe that there's something lost in American Protestant Christianity that has not looked at the person structure as a fundamental ethical norming reality um, that also, and maybe even more so, opens up to a deep sense of kind of revelation and... Um, yeah. So I think you're right. I think in your framework of ministry does become impossible inside the fundamentals or ministry has to be completely reshaped as loyalty to the fundamentals, um, not to the persons. And I think what is 
shocking in our cultural moment is that everyone knew since the 1920s that the right would eviscerate personhood for loyalty to the fundamentals. What has been more shocking and more revealed and been revealed in the in our social media age is that that happens in the same way on the left, and that people who left the right for the left because they found the rigidity of the ideological fundamentals to be suffocating are now willing to drown people in the same kind of sibilates of ideological purity in some ways. And so, and, and I guess it makes sense because what has to be kind of retaught or reimagined or rethought through from a perspective of ministry as well as theology and maybe even ethics is to think about it through a person structure, you know, to again, to call on Bonhoeffer um, and to do what you did, Derek, kind of intuitively, which is to say that ministry is encounters with persons and encounters with the boundary of persons being other. Um, it is claiming that we are preparing in our life together to encounter the otherness of God um, and ideological fundamentalism in all its forms can't, can't hold to that. So that's far too risky. 